The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Did you know that the children of Israel had washing machines back there in the Sinai Desert? Oh yes, a full-service laundromat, in fact. And the best part was, no need to go drop your clothes off. It comes right to you. This fun fact emerges in this week's Parsha when, in the midst of Moshe's long speech to the children of Israel, retelling the whole story of their journey through the desert, he slips in the strangest detail. Simlatcha lo valtamelecha. The clothes upon you did not wear out, nor did your feet swell all these 40 years. Super long lasting clothes? Sure, there were lots of big miracles back in the Exodus story, but magical clothing seems more like fairy tale material than biblical narrative. Rashi, the king of the Parsha, takes this little hint of magic and gives it grand scale. Simlatcha your clothes did not wear out. Because, he says, the clouds of glory would scrub them and iron them. Anane kavod hayu shofim biksutam umegahatsimotam, making them look like freshly pressed garments. Ah, so that's the secret. The clouds of glory, which famously led the children of Israel through the desert, also performed laundry services. And they didn't even have to remove their clothes. The clouds would just pass over them and scrub them down, as if they were moving through a human car wash, and then came out the other end, looking good as new. So, there you have it. Washing machine clouds. Oh, but that's not all. These clouds would also pave roads. Check out Rashi again. This time, back in the book of Numbers, he begins telling us that there were actually seven clouds total, four for each of the four sides of the camp, one above, one below, and one ahead of them, which would flatten hills and raise valleys. Manmik et umagbia et Bulldozer clouds! Oh, and, and that's not all, Rashi says, and it would kill snakes and scorpions. Pest control clouds. Oh, and that's not all. Rashi wrote a lot about these clouds. Back in Exodus, Rashi wrote that when the Egyptians would shoot arrows or catapult stones, the cloud would intercept them. Hanan mikablam. Missile defense clouds. And then, of course, the most basic function of the clouds, and this is just from the Torah itself, 
from Exodus chapter 13, the Eternal went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them along the way day and night. Those are GPS clouds. Boy, these magic clouds did it all. Direction, protection, and clean clothes to boot. Along with the manna from heaven and the legendary traveling well that provided them with water, the clouds were like their desert caretakers, providing them with absolutely all of their needs. And then one day, they were gone. At the end of the Book of Numbers, the children of Israel are heading toward the end of their journey, and as they approach the borders of the Promised Land, they begin to encounter hostile nations. The king of Arad comes out to attack them, after being particularly emboldened by one thing he's heard. He heard, says Rashi again, Shemet Aaron v'nistalku anane kavod, that when Aaron died, the clouds of glory departed. And this is taken as a sign that Israel's no longer protected by God. Israel has suddenly lost an amazing asset, an all-purpose protective shield. But why? Why would God take the clouds of glory away at this very moment, right when the people are about to cross over into the land of Israel and fight their fiercest battles yet? Perhaps because of one other function that the clouds performed, one that it's high time to let go of. We get the first hint of it back at Mount Sinai, when God is preparing to deliver the Ten Commandments. And God says something interesting to Moses about how it's going to happen. I will come to you in a thick cloud. In order that the people hear when I speak with you and believe you forever after. Here God is, getting ready to come down upon the mountain and speak directly to the people, the greatest revelation of all time, and it seems like God has to appear in the form of a cloud for them to believe it's really happening. And from then on, whenever they see Moshe communicating with God, there's a cloud present. After the Ten Commandments are spoken, when Moshe goes up to the mountaintop to receive the rest of God's message, we read that the people remained at a distance, while Moses went up into the thick cloud where God was, and then, when they build a tabernacle, in order to establish regular contact with God, at the moment of its completion, the cloud appears again. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, it says, Ki because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud has always been their sign that God is there. And they seem to need this physical manifestation of God's presence for it to feel real. But that's a problem. In fact, that's about as big a problem as you can get in this religion. And that flies in the face of the second commandment, what might be called our central principle of faith, 
not to worship any physical representation of anything in the skies above or on the earth below. So, no sun god, no rock god, no fire god, no tree god, and no cloud god. And at this point, they're dangerously close to fully associating God with the clouds of glory. So, that's it. The clouds have got to go. Now, you might be thinking, well, then why did God ever bring the clouds around in the first place? Well, that's a fair question. I suspect the answer is probably related to the story of the magically laundered clothes. Why, of all things, did they need fresh laundry services in the desert? Isn't that a bit fancy for a bunch of freed slaves following God on an epic journey to the Promised Land? But that's just it. It's hard what they're being asked to do. We rarely think about how hard it must have been. They went straight from slavery to 40 years in the desert. 40 years of wandering in the sun, living from day to day on nothing but mana and water, under constant fear of attack, with internal tensions always high. The only comfort they had was the cloud. It bathed them in a cool mist, sheltered them from the blazing sun. And if it also performed feats of wonder, well, they could use a little something wondrous out there in the desert. Fresh clothes resting on their skin, a smooth path laid out in front of them, and all the menacing forces of the outside world, from arrows to scorpions, seeming to bounce effortlessly back away. And likewise, if these weak and weary wanderers also needed to see God to be able to believe God was there, to believe that God was actually leading them somewhere, well, they could be given some sign of that as well. Give them a break. They were essentially in their infancy as a nation. And, like an infant, they had to be pampered and protected. And even as they grew into children, the children of Israel, they still needed to understand the world and God in simple ways, in basic, concrete images. But now they're crossing over into the land of Israel, over to the other side. Now it's time for the nation to come into its adulthood. They'll have to take care of themselves, do their own laundry, fight their own battles, find their own way through the world. And they'll have to give up their childish notions of God. They'll have to come to terms with a God they can't see or really fully understand. They'll have to find out how to have faith in something mysterious. And that's really what the cloud always represented, after all. The misty, the hazy, the obscured. It was always a metaphor for the God who was somehow there, but hidden. But it's time to let go of the metaphor before it replaces the real. It's time to come out of the clouds. It's time to grow up.
Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week. Thank you.